So you may have heard that the Supreme Court has decided that same-sex marriage is a constitutional right here in America now. It's declared that same-sex marriage is legal and right in all 50 states. You guys want to talk about it? So the primary question that I hear being asked is, well, what do we do? What are we supposed to do now? How are Christians supposed to respond to this ruling? I've even had people ask me personally, Tony, what are you going to do? You're a preacher and you marry people and and what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? And so I'm going to give you four ways to respond to this week's ruling tonight, okay? I'm going to give you four ways to respond to this week's ruling. But first, I want to, what I want to do is I want to read a story in Numbers chapter 22, the story of Balak and Balaam. So I want you to turn there. I want you to see this story. For one, it's long and I'm not going to make any apologies for reading all of it. You know, this is what they used to do in church. They used to just read scripture and scripture and scripture and scripture and scripture. Less man's thoughts and more scripture, right? So tonight, I may insert a few thoughts, but we're going to read, 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 read scripture, okay? Numbers chapter 22. The sons of Israel journeyed and camped in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan, opposite Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So Moab was in great fear because of the people, for they were numerous. And Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. Now this horde, he said to the elders of Midian, this horde will lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of Moab at the time. So he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Baor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, a people come out of Egypt. Listen, they cover the surface of the land, and they are living opposite me. Now, therefore, please come, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hands. In other words, they were bringing some money that they were going to pay Balaam for this curse that he would put on the Israelites. And they came to Balaam and repeated Balak's words to him. And he said to them, Balaam said, listen, spend the night here and I will bring word back to you as the Lord may speak to me. And so the leaders of Moab stayed with Balaam. And then in verse nine, it says that God, and this is talking about Jehovah God, our God, which is interesting because he wasn't an Israelite, was he? But somehow Balaam had a relationship. He knew the Lord. And it wasn't the first time we've seen this in scripture. You see this type of person a lot of times in scripture. They're not Israelites, but somehow they're aware of the Lord. You guys hear what I'm saying? So this, this power or this ability that he has is some sort of supernatural gift from God. So in verse nine, it says that God came to Balaam because Balaam sought out God. 
God said, hey, who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, well, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent word to me. And he said, listen, there's a people that have come out of Egypt and they're covering the face of the land. So would you curse them for me so that I might be able to fight against them and drive them out? And God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. Everyone real quick say, I am blessed. And do you remember what Balak said over here just a few verses before? He said, I got to get somebody to curse these people because I am not mighty enough to come against them. If we didn't go any further, hear this. You are blessed because you belong to God. And there is nothing strong enough to overcome you. Do you hear what I'm saying? No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Why? Because we belong to the Lord. So it was just a pause and insert a little nugget of truth. Okay, let's keep going. So Balaam arose in the morning and said to Balak's leaders, go back to your land for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. And the leaders of Moab arose, went back to Balaam and said, Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. And then Balak again sent leaders more numerous, there's more of them, and more distinguished than the former. They came to Balaam and said to him, thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, let nothing, I beg you, hinder you from coming to me and doing what I need you to do. For I will indeed honor you richly and I will do whatever you say to me. Please come and curse this people for me. In other words, I will pay you whatever it takes. I will honor you with riches if you will just come and curse this people. Balaam replied to the servants of Balak. Though Balak were to give me, say, a house full of gold and silver. I I couldn't do it because God told me not to. Now, please, you stay here tonight, and I will go find out, find out what else the Lord would speak to me. Okay, pause. Had the Lord not already spoke? Now, pick up the context clues here. Why did he bring up a certain amount? I, even if you gave me, say, this amount. I, I just couldn't do it because God told me I, I just couldn't do it. Something's going on with Balaam, isn't there? He's a little twisted. He's up to something. And for him to say, you know what, stay the night here. I'm going to go ask the Lord if there's something new he wants to tell me. Why would he have anything new to tell you? Right? you got to get that, okay? Because this is important. And God himself is going to talk about this in a minute. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them. But only the words which I speak to you shall you do. Now don't be confused that God all of a sudden gave him permission. What's going on is God said, you know what, Balaam, you just, here's what you want. I'm going to let you do what you want. How many of you know that sometimes God's going to give us what we want? Right? And if you want to go, go. But only say what I tell you to say. We're going to hear more about that. So Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the leaders of Moab. Verse 22. But God was angry because he was going. And the angel of the Lord took his hand Uh, took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Again, God was not in agreement that he went, even though he said go. He wasn't in agreement with why he's letting him go. You guys understand what I'm saying? And so what he did is he sent an angel to go be an adversary or a roadblock 
for Balaam on his trip. Now, he was riding his donkey. Everybody say, yee-haw. All right, just got to get that in there. Now, he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, by the way, the angel of the Lord that he saw um, was Jesus. A lot of times in Scripture, when you see the angel of the Lord, it's not just an angel, it's an angel of the Lord, and that's a, that's a type of Christ, or it is Christ, rather. Okay? So when the angel saw Jesus standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand, can you imagine? There's Jesus sitting there with a sword, you know? That's what the donkey saw. Standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned off from along the way. How many of you have ever ridden horses? How many of you know when when you're going in a direction that... um, that the horse doesn't want to go, it'll kind of, it'll kind of do this thing where it, you know, tries to go. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Well, that's what's going on. So the donkey starts going, I don't think we want to go that way. Donkey turned off from the way and went into the field. But Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. So Balaam knocked the donkey upside something. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path of the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself up to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against it. So he struck her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. In other words, she just went straight down. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his stick. Look at verse 28 and go ahead and circle that. I want you to come back and read that this next week on your own. It's very important. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, the donkey said to Balaam, Hey, what have I done to you that you have struck me me these three times? And then Balaam said to the donkey, because you've made a mockery of me. Like he answered the donkey. I mean, you guys, come on, that's funny. He wasn't like, oh, you know, it's a talking donkey. It's Shrek's sidekick, you know. It's hard for me not to imagine Shrek, you know. What have I done to you? You struck me these three times. <laughs> Balaam answers the donkey because you have made a mockery of me. Now, I want to I pause and go back. What does it say? It says that the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? The donkey's lips are moving, but who's really talking? The Lord, the Lord is speaking through that donkey to Balaam. What have I done that you would strike me three times? He says, well, you've made a mockery out of me. Get this conversation. This isn't Balaam to donkey. This is Balaam to God, though Balaam did not realize it. Because you have made a mockery of me. If there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. Okay, so something's off with Balaam. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Are you guys picking up this? Am I not the donkey that you've ridden 
Have I not carried you your whole life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And Balaam just simply said, well, no. (laughs) I don't know if you caught that, but the donkey just won the argument. (laughs) Balaam just lost an argument to a donkey. That would make all of us feel terrible. But look at 31. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his head. Isn't it interesting that this dumb donkey could see the Lord? the angel of the Lord standing there, but Balaam could not. Again, it shows the condition. This man that was supposedly some sort of prophet, some sort of spiritualist, some, so, someone who carried miracles in his words at this moment was not even able to see the angel of the Lord there, but a donkey could. Look what it says right here. The Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with a sword drawn in his hand and he bowed all the way to the ground. <laughs> Balaam finally got it. Verse 32 says that the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary because your way was contrary to me. But the donkey saw me and he turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I would surely have killed you just now and let her live. In other words, you better thank the donkey because what I was about to do to you That dumb donkey spared you. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the way against me. Now then, if it displeases you, I'll turn back. Does that sound like repentance to you? No. And we'll see that it's not. True repentance is 180 degrees. He said, would you like me to turn 100? I've already told you. This isn't what I wanted. But you keep going your own way. Keep all of this in mind. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but you shall speak only the words which I tell you. So Balaam went along with the leaders of Balak. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him in the city of Moab, which is on the Arnon border at the extreme end of the border. Then Balak asked Balaam, Did I not urgently send to you and call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I really unable to honor you? In other words, am I really not able to pay you the price you would need to conjure up this curse? So Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have come now to you. Am I able to speak anything at all? The word that comes from God into my mouth, that is what I'll speak. And Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriath-Huzoth. Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep and sent some of Uh, some to Balaam and the leaders who were there with him. Y'all stay with me. I know it's a lot to read. Then it came about in the morning that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal. He took Balaam up to the places where they would worship Baal. You guys know that Baal is a foreign god, is a false god, highly worshiped among many of those pagan nations. And he saw from there a portion of the people. So he took them up to this high place and he could, they could see some of the Israelites. Maybe through some of the mountains or through some of the valleys, they could see some of them. Okay, And then ver- chapter 23 says, Then Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here. Prepare seven bulls, seven rams for me here. Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. That's just a terrible scene. 
Then Balaam said to Balak, stand beside your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a bare hill. Now God met Balaam and he said to him, I have set up these seven altars and I have offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak and you shall speak this to him. So he returned and behold, he was standing beside the burnt offering, he and all the leaders of Moab. And he took up his discourse and he said this big long thing. And I'm only, I'm going to highlight verse eight. Okay. Just to try to save time here. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? So this first curse was no curse. How can I curse what God has not cursed? Okay, let's move on down to verse 11. Then Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies. Behold, you have actually blessed them. He replied, must I not be careful to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? <laughs> it's just such a contradictory. But then in verse 13, Balak said to him, please come with me to another place from where you may see them. In other words, let me take you into another place. You gotta see this army. If you can just see them, surely you will curse them. It's just a scary sight. There's a bunch of them. So he took him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars, seven bulls, seven rams, did all that again. And then he said to Balak, stand here beside your burnt offering while I go meet with the Lord again over there. Then the Lord met Balaam, put a word in his mouth again, and said, return to Balaam and speak this. Go over to verse 20. I'm going to bring up verse 20. Behold, I have received a command to bless. So the first one, he says, I cannot curse whom God hasn't cursed. And then the second one, he says, I have been commanded to bless. So the first time, there's no curse at all. The second time, he blesses Israel. Okay? And then in verse 25, Balak's ticked again. Do not curse them at all or bless them at all. In other words, if you're not going to curse them, don't bless them. (laughs) You're killing me, Smalls. You know? So what he's saying, but Balaam replied to Balak, did I not tell you whatever the Lord speaks to me that I must do? Then Balak said to Balaam one more time, please, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will be agreeable with God that you curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the wasteland. They built the altars. They sacrificed the animals. They could see more of the people there. Surely, Balak thought, surely now he will be freaked out enough to curse these people. Chapter 24, and we're almost done. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. Did you hear that? When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as the other times to seek omens, but he set his face towards the wilderness. In other words, he's like, wow, that blessing came out of my mouth. God's feeling better about things. So instead of seeking him and going through the rigmarole, he just lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came on him. Look at verse 8 of 24. He will devour the nations who are his adversaries. He will crush their bones in pieces and shatter them with his arrows. So the first time, no curse at all. Second time, he blesses Israel. This time, he literally curses Balak. And Balak has a conniption. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies. But behold, you have persisted in blessing them now these three times. Therefore, flee to your place now. I said I would honor you greatly, but behold, the Lord has held you back from honor. Balaam said to Balak, did I not tell your messengers whom you had sent me saying? In other words, I told you that. 
Though Balak were to give me his house of silver, I could not do something so contrary to the command of the Lord, either good or bad, of my own accord. What the Lord speaks, that I will speak. And now, behold, I'm going to go to my people. Come, and I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the days to come. And then he gives one more discord. And I just want to read, and starting in verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. Now listen, even though Balak is not getting any, uh, Balaam is not getting any money now, he gives him a free prophecy. <laughs> Let me just say one more thing to you, and this one's for free. And what comes out of his mouth is, a star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter shall rise from Israel. What's that talking about? This is a messianic prophecy. <laughs> Jesus came out of this one and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. And then it goes on to say how it's not going to go well with all of these nations. Verse 25, then Balaam arose and departed and returned to his place. And Balak also went his way. Now, Balak wanted to curse Israel. You can't curse something that God hasn't cursed. You have no power because God's blessing is on them. You can't curse that. God's surrounding them. He is protecting them. He is providing for them. He has blessed them. You can try to curse, but you can't curse what God has not cursed. So get this picture. This opponent, this adversary, this warring nation, this entity that wanted to curse and crush God's people could not do it because God would not let them. That's really cool especially for those of us who belong to God through the bloodshed of Jesus, accepting his sacrifice and putting our faith in him. Look at chapter 25. While Israel remained at Shitham, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. Okay, so the daughters of Moab, the women of the Moabites, who is the nation that Balak was the king of. All of a sudden, they get this wild hair idea to start sleeping around with the women, to play the harlot to the daughters of Moab. For they invited the people to the sacrifices of their God. In other words, the Moabites drew them in. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel joined themselves to Baal of Peor. And circle this, underline it, high, whatever. And the Lord was angry against Israel. Something changed just like that. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight for the, before the Lord so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. In other words, I am so mad. I'm fiercely angry that this nation that I have blessed would do this. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you slay his men who have joined themselves to Baal. Verse 6, Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought to his relatives a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the sons of Israel. Listen to this. While they were weeping at the doorway of the tent of meetings or the tabernacle, they brought, these guys brought these women here. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this. So get this in case, you're not, in case I'm not doing a good job of reading it. There's this guy who was an Israelite and he decided to bring a Moabite woman to the tent of meeting where they were 
in there weeping and praying because of what had happened. This guy brings him up there. And look what happens. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw this and he rose from the midst of the congregation and took a spear in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and pierced both of them through. Now picture that. If he was able to pierce both of them through, How many of you are good with puzzles? Scholars believe that these two were having sexual relations right there at the opening of the tent or even inside the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. Not good. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent, pierced them both through, the man of Israel and the woman, through the body. So the plague on the sons of Israel was checked. Those who died by the plague, 24,000. And then, I want you to hear this, and, and I may come back to this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them. You all hear that? He was jealous with my jealousy among the people, so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Because remember, they were playing the harlot. Therefore, say, behold, I give him my covenant of peace, and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of perpetual priesthood. He was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. Okay, very important that I tell you this story because now I want you to turn to Micah chapter 6. So we heard the story of Balak and Balaam. You guys have heard the story of the talking donkey. We just read it in case you'd never done it before. It's bizarre, but it happened. Micah chapter 6 says, hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains. Whoa, what does this sound like? It sounds like a courtroom, doesn't it? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. Because the Lord has a case against his people, even with Israel. He will dispute. Verse 3. My people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Answer me. Does that question, that scene sound familiar? Where have have we heard that kind of content before? Coming out of the mouth of the donkey. That's what the donkey, speaking for the Lord, said to Balaam. Now God's speaking it to his whole people. My people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Answer me. And then in verse 4, he says, Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I ransomed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Then verse 5, he says, My people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, son of Baord, answered him. We know the story of Balak, king of Moab, and Balaam. There's this interesting connection that is made. Listen. Balak. I can't pronounce a curse upon this people. I can't do it. Remember the first thing I told you? I can't curse what God has not cursed. But if you can get them to turn away from God, if you can draw them away, use your women, use your gods, use some promises, use your gold. If you can get them 
to walk away from God's ordinances, then you don't have to pronounce a curse because you got them. In verse 6, again, this is God speaking through Micah, the prophet, but he's speaking like, like he's speaking for the people, like this is what the people have said, would have said. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Like Balaam did when he realized, uh-oh, <laughs> there's an angel sitting there. I was wondering what was wrong with donkey, you know? What shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Is that how I can make up for what I've done? Is that how I can cover the sins of my people? Is that how we can um, bring restoration to the situation? Or shall I come to him with burnt offerings or with a yearly calf? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams? Is that what will do it? In 10,000 rivers of oil, would that do it? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts? Would that get me in right standings with God? The fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? And then verse eight, here's what I wanna focus on. God has told you, oh man, what is good. And there's a lot in that statement. When God called Abram, changed his name to Abraham, gave him the precious promises, he told you what was good. When he brought you out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he told you what was good. When he began laying out his law, when he brought the tablets down from the mountain, he has showed you what is good. You have not held fast to what is good. Four ways to respond to this week's ruling. The first one is repent sincerely. Repent sincerely. What is going on in the nation? And I'm not going to get into much of what's going on, but how we respond to what's going on. I'm actually going to do a series, I think, beginning in August called Signs. I'm going to talk about the signs of the time because what is happening in this ruling is actually very much a sign of the times that we're living in. And I'm going to give more details on that. I want you to come and be there beginning probably in August. So I don't want to focus on the act of what's happening, what was approved, but how we respond, okay? The first thing is we got to understand. Listen, if you are upset about the curse that is upon the nation, consider our part in it. I see people upset and talking on Facebook about what has happened, all the atrocity in this nation. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you've prayed against homosexuality or for someone that struggles with that? When's the last time? When's the last time that you felt some sort of personal angst about that situation? If you haven't prayed about it, then don't start yapping about it. Right? If you want to do anything as an initial step, repent. Because we all play a part in what's going on in this nation. Well, not me. I've never done it. It's like Nehemiah. He came in. He had a burden for the city, the walls being rebuilt. And what was one of the first things he started doing? Repenting for the sins of his father. Nehemiah hadn't done anything. He repented for the sins of his father. Revival is a response to repentance. You want to see things change? You want to see revival in the land? Revival is a response to repentance. How do we respond? Let's repent. Let's repent as people, as husbands, as wives, 
as single people, as a church, as a nation, let's repent because we play a part in this. If this feels like a curse, if this feels like uh, something has come upon the nation, it's because there's been an open door somewhere. Can I get an amen on that one? Let's keep reading. He has told you, man, what is good. If you haven't done it or paid attention to it, my translation, then you need to repent. He's told you what's good, right? But then look what he says next. And what does the Lord require of you? Do I require you to go cut up your child and put him on an altar? Do you got to go 1,000 rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Is that what I require? Is that what I require? He says, what does the Lord require of you? And then look what he says. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? And I just laid them all three out there, and I want to cover them just quickly. Four ways to respond to this week's ruling. First of all, repent sincerely. Repent sincerely. The second thing is do justly. Do what is right and just for yourself. Know the word. Know what it says. Obey it. Take care of yourself. Remain that pure and spotless bride that the bridegroom is coming for. Act right. Do right for yourself. But then also promote what is right and just to others. In other words... and I'll get into more of this whenever we get into that series, but it doesn't mean that we have to say, okay, then that must be right, or, or we can't say that that's wrong, or we can't have a voice. You do justly promote what is right. You promote it to your kids. You promote it to your friends. When come, someone comes to you and says, hey, you should believe this. The nation has ruled it okay. I think it's okay to say, you know what? God's word says that that's, that's not a lifestyle that is approved by him. I love you. But that is not something that I can approve of. You can promote the justice in that situation. You don't have to walk away. You don't have to turn a cheek. But look what it says next. Love, mercy. When you do it, you come from an attitude of mercy. You know the mercy that you've been shown for your sin. So when you act justly, especially in promoting it somewhere, you don't beat them down. You don't knock them in the teeth. Gentle answer turns away wrath. Isn't what scripture says? We speak the truth in love. So yeah, we can do justly, keep our lives in line and and promote a godly lifestyle, God's word. But when you do it, it's with a love for mercy. Not, Not just merciful, but with a love for mercy. You want mercy to reign and to rule in the situation. You want this person that you're talking to not to, not to be punished for their sin, but that they would turn from their sin, right? Love mercy. Love the fact that whatever this person has done, wherever they've been, or whoever they've been with, God's mercy, can, his love can cover a multitude of sin, all kinds. Love that about God. Why? Because you've received it yourself. What, what do I require of you? What, do I, what is it that the Lord requires of us in this situation, in this time? Listen, let's start with repenting. Let's do justly. Let's do what is right in our own lives. Let's promote godliness, the word, scripture, God's heart to others. Do it in love, love mercy. 
Love the fact that God can change a heart like that. If he can make a donkey talk. And the last thing is walk humbly with your God. And there's so many things I could say about that. But I'll say this. God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. God stands there with a drawn sword to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. We see that with Balaam. And listen, even even when things are going our way and we think we're smooth sailing, sometimes think about Balaam. He wasn't anywhere he needed to be, but he still thought God was approving what he was doing. He was so blinded. I really believe that the way the church responds personally and publicly is huge. This just happened the other day, right? And so there's going to be all kinds of stuff. It's just going to escalate more and more and more and more. The way that we respond personally in our own hearts, are we going to be people who pray? Are we going to have a heart and spirit of repentance? Even though we didn't do those things, we know that our prayers and our walk with the Lord. And then publicly, are we going to be people who authenticate the very justice that we are promoting? The way we do that is live in the word and loving people. There is an opportunity here. Do you guys understand that? And I can't even see it all real clearly. I don't know exactly what this means, but there is an opportunity right here for the Lord to do something.